You're listening to the Oodles of Marketing podcast, where two brothers, not brothers, wage war, debate peacefully, against the pitfalls of digital marketing. That part is accurate. Here are your hosts, Mark and Ryan Hughes. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Oodles of Marketing podcast. Today, we're switching gears a little bit with our first guest, Dr. Paula Brebecco, who holds multiple degrees and certifications, including a doctorate in psychology, organizational development, and leadership at, from Toro University Worldwide. Uh, today, Dr. Paula Berbecco is going to be talking to us about authenticity in the workplace and who, who doesn't need a little more authentic relationships, communication, interactions with people in their life, especially at work, right? Uh, so as we get into this, um, I'm really hopeful that we have some great questions, some great back and forth with Dr. Paula because uh, I can be the first to attest to some um, not so authentic relationships throughout my career. Uh, (laughs) You know, we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave all the skeletons in the closet, I suppose. Uh, So with that, I want to kind of introduce Paula and, and have her give a little more background about herself, about her work, her research, and how she landed in the field of, of doing a doctorate around the, the idea of authenticity. So Paula. Yes, thank you, Mark. And thank you both, Mark and Ryan, for having me on the show today. Um, So yes, so authenticity, that is a big focus area of mine, as is worker and leader empowerment, as well as diversity and inclusion. So I have spent about the last 25 years working in various roles, mostly in healthcare, some nonprofit, some corporate world. And I'm very, very interested in behavior in the workplace. My doctorate in psychology is organizational development and leadership. So I recently did do research on authenticity and the influence of supervisors and sexual orientation and gender identity on work authenticity. So I am very excited to talk to you about that today, as well as find out what your thoughts are and how it might apply to Oodle. So are you ready to get started on this juicy topic? Let's do it. All right. Excellent. Let's, let's, Let's start with a basic question. What is authenticity? What that, that's a it's a big word you learn when you're in third grade and then you know sometimes you live it out and sometimes you don't but what what does that really mean Yes. All right. And there is some um, questions about this, I believe, out in the real world. Some people believe it's very woo-woo and maybe a little bit soft, too soft to be in the work environment. But yes. So would you believe that the contemplation of authenticity goes back to the Greek philosophers, even back to Aristotle and Socrates? And there has been much to contemplate. And one thing is for sure, there is not one definition for authenticity, but most people do believe that the simplified version of this is to be yourself and is often synonymous with well-being. So if you just give me a little time to talk about the history, I think I can help explain to you what like with the foundation of it, something that will help you frame it up. And then we'll talk about what it's not. And then I would love to get your feedback on it. So um, as mentioned, there's been a lot of philosophers who have talked about it, but it wasn't until the 1950s when the humanistic psychology movement started, mostly with Abraham Maslow. I'm sure you recognize him Mm -hmm. and his hierarchy of needs. Hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. As well as Carl Rogers, who is the founder of Persons centered therapy. 
uh, they they knocked this topic more into the scientific world and mm. empirical research soon followed after. So if we use Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the triangle as part of the foundation to explain part of the foundation, there's a little bit more into it, but um, I think you'll understand it better. So just a quick recap. So we've got the triangle in the base layer in order to self-actualize is a need for physio or physical and safety needs. Then mm -hmm. building upon that, you've got your belonging, social engagement, love, esteem. And then when you have that, you can self-actualize at the top. So for our purposes today, think of authenticity as being that best self, that highest self, right? With the internal and external needs met. Now, what authenticity is not is being a bully in the workplace, being mean, being aggressive, oversharing one's thoughts and then saying, well, I'm just being myself. I'm just being not, me. I'm just How many being people me. have you met like that? I'm just being me. <laughs> That's right. So, so yeah. So knowing that foundation of the authenticity studies and that definition, what comes to mind for you two? Do you feel like you are authentic? Do you feel like you have an authentic workforce at Oodle? Oh, that's oh a, no! I'm never authentic. I'm always <laughs> 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 nobody. Nobody ever knows how I feel about anything. Oh my gosh! So it's funny. So we we did a little bit of background <laughs> research on a book that we've read called Radical Candor. This is part of like thinking about this topic. Yes. Um, which we we'd love to dig into that and your your thoughts on that as well. But as I'm reading through some of like the the T chart of the radical candor where you would fall, radical candor, ruinous empathy, manipulative insecurity, or obnoxious aggression are kind of the four categories of the T-chart. It's like Ryan falls directly into the radical candor chart until he looks at someone <laughs> and, and, <unless> mad. <laughs> and then he realizes, uh-oh, I, I may have overstepped. Let me walk that back real quick. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was reading that book a while back, you know, it was like everybody kind of meanders between some quadrants and and I've, I'm very much usually in that radical candor part, but there are occasions where I can see myself dip into that obnoxious aggression, uh, which is important to know, right? Like that, you know, part of authenticity, in my opinion, is recognizing the faults and just being like, I'm not going to fix it. Self-awareness. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. something we have to know and be able to, to work with and work around. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of authenticity as it, uh, you know, when it comes to pretty much anything. Mark mm -hmm. knows as well as anything, you know, even, even when we're talking about product offerings and those sorts of things, I can sell a lot of things, but I can't sell anything I don't believe in. Um, mm -hmm. and I just won't, like I, I literally won't. Um, and that's shaped even our business in some cases yep. where there have been opportunities where we could potentially, we could sell some, we can make money, we could have a product line, but it's not something we believe in. So if we don't believe in it we don't believe it really yields results for businesses, we're just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that translates to, to even this idea of forced culture. So the, the word authenticity, um, we're kind of stretching it from being about an individual to also being about being about an organization and how we're talking about it. But we've always firmly believed in having an authentic workforce, the, the, and by workforce, I don't mean the individuals necessarily, but allowing those individuals to be who they are, and to not force culture on them, right? So you can have optional events as an organization, as an example, but the moment that they become 
mandatory optional events. Mandatory fun events. Right. Mandatory fun events. That's forced culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, Manda- mandatory happy hours. Yeah, right. So you're you're trying you're you're doing what you believe is right to create a good cultural vibe and to create connections for people, but you're it's it's going about it in a, a slightly manipulative way that isn't authentic and doesn't doesn't build strong roots. It it kind of builds. Well, I guess I'll I'll use a house example. It builds it builds a house on sand, not firm foundation, right? So it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't build upon itself in that way. Hmm. Oh boy, both of you have brought up, well, there's this wide spectrum of topics you brought up. I could go so many different ways with it. Um, but but let's keep going on with your culture because I think that that has, it's, set, it's a lot of the setting on what it means to be authentic and being oneself and how that fits in. Because in a culture, there there could be your parameters like how people are supposed to act, uh, like when I think about corporate culture, many times it's supposed to be very analytical and emotions aren't supposed to be there. There's a certain way of talking, a certain way of showing up and like almost brand management, right? Mm-hmm. But then you're saying at Oodle, you want to allow your workers a chance to be themselves and not be forced into a box or forced into interactions. Um, but in a way that is culture, right? You're setting your culture right. to say, we're going to have some experiences and whether or not you join those experiences is okay. You know, whether or not you express dissatisfaction with it or satisfaction with it, we're letting you express yourself. So it's, it's, you're saying forced culture, but in a way, what you're saying is in our culture, we don't want to force anybody <laughs> to be that way. So um, that, that's right. pretty cool. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You are helping There's- to support authenticity. There's definitely some, you know, it takes the right person. Right. And, and we've seen, hundreds of people at this point, uh, either interview or work at a Oodle and, and, uh, and leave. And over time, um, none or maybe one or two have ever been contentious. So that's a, that's a good thing, but you know, we've seen kind of the evolutions and, and how different people with exposure and their backgrounds are introduced to that idea. Right. One of the the clearest examples is like the first time somebody potentially sees Mark and I disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if they, if they have more of a corporate background, they're tip they're, they're used to the, uh, the corporate arguments, right? <laughs> the, the very buttoned up, you know, let's take this offline kind of thing. Um, Mark and I can be, we can, we can be beating around a, a topic trying to figure out what we're going to do with it. And we're disagreeing. And we're not being mean to each other, but we are being direct, right? Very mm-hmm. direct. Um, and you can see people sometimes get, you know, they'll be uncomfortable with that. And we kind of like, mm-hmm. we'll realize that and, and be like, we're fine. Like, we're totally cool. We, we just, we know this is how we, we solve this problem is, is I come at it from my angle. He comes at it from his angle and we, you know, we spar until we, we reach a, a point that it makes sense. And then, we move on. We're done. I've always uh, called that healthy confrontation and we encourage it amongst our team. We, it's, you know, if yeah. everyone's agreeing all the time, there isn't any you're innovation happening. Enough. Yeah. There's no innovation <laughs> happening. If everyone's agreeing all the time, you're, everyone's fine with the status quo. If, if we're, if we are uh, in, in healthy conflict to try to solve a problem, we're come at, come at it from different perspectives and from different ideas and from different backgrounds, we're even trying to solve for a completely different 
um, user need as an example in our in our world than we considered before. That's that's how we build innovative ideas for our clients um, and and for our team members. So healthy conflict. Oh my goodness. Okay, so if I may. Um, what you are expressing is this embracing of diversity, diversity of thought and pulling ideas together. Uh, and, you know, I think it's fascinating. The reason why I did the research topic I did is because I believe that when different type of people are brought together and are able to express their thoughts, ideas, dissatisfaction, satisfaction, then it does spur innovation. Just like what you're saying, it makes a better product because if all of those people can come together and decide upon the product, then that is better uh, than and gives you the competitive advantage more than what another company could if there's an homogenous thought group, you know, who are like just nodding their head or apathetic or so forth. So yes, this is, you're just up my alley. I just want to <laughs> underscore how amazing that is. And you're modeling that for your workforce. So yeah, I do believe that this is allowing your product from Oodle to better serve your clients. And it, it's interesting too, right? So we're, we're talking about authenticity. We're talking about diversity of thought. And we actually just wrapped up a, a podcast episode about remote work. So how you interact and how you manage all the things that we're talking about is very different in an asynchronous type of communication style, right? Uh, versus mm -hmm. synchronous. Synchronous style is we're all in the same room, we're experiencing the same things at the same time, and, and we can react to those things as we go. Asynchronous is we're consuming information like email or Basecamp messages in our case, or Slacks or team, team, Teams, um, and we're doing that at a different cadence and and with a different um, emotional mindset at the time that we're consuming that information than maybe someone else. And so that can lead to misunderstandings in communication. It can lead to lack of authenticity in some cases, uh, or or just just different disagreements. So what is what in your experience have you found as part of your research that just the way that people work today? influences their ability to be authentic or their inability to be more authentic in some cases? Oh, that's a good question. So um, I would like to plug that I had a peer who did her research on leaders who lead diverse teams. And in her research, as she was interviewing leaders, what came up a lot was how the workplace has changed, especially in the post-pandemic world. Right. We went from interacting in person where our words, our behaviors, you know, our physical manures, like you can manurisms, you can pick up on what somebody's true intent is. Then we move to instant messaging and the virtual workplace where sometimes the camera may be on or sometimes it's not. And then a group of people together who perhaps are all silent in the background or only a few voices will emerge and these are the dominant voices but it may not represent the whole like all of that mm -hmm. was beginning to emerge in her research and so i think that what you're you're suggesting is that many organizations are dealing with this well how do we get along how do we know that we're hearing from our employees do we even know and interpret all of these things correctly so yes it is a different world 
And navigating through that can be quite interesting. But it sounds like what you've said is you're inviting people to speak up and express their true feelings and be who they are. And you've modeled that it's okay to have conflict. You've modeled it's okay to talk about it. And so you know, I think that that's a really powerful culture that you've said. And that, again, is helping you to move forward in this new world of virtual global marketplace. Yeah. And do you find, oh, okay. go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, do you find any differences or, or kind of how these things come to light or, or potentially how people are receive the ideas uh, generationally? Right. So as I, as I think about mm-hmm. even things like remote uh, and, and that sort of thing, or just even how generations act differently and value things differently, um, you know, even f- for myself, you know, I'm kind of sandwiched in the middle there, but something like, you know, a lot of things that some folks who are older than me struggle with in terms of, you know, not getting to see people or those sorts of things. I'm like, I grew up online, dude. Like if this is, this is normal to me. I, I hang out with my friends online on discord, uh, you know, pretty much every night. And that's just normal. That's how mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not used to going out somewhere with my friends. I go out in, you know, some video game somewhere with my friends and hang <laughs> and hang out. But, you know, I could see a lot of other people who just like, that's very foreign to them. Um, younger or old, like, you know, um, are, are, have you seen any, any differences in kind of how, how folks, you know, I, I guess I'll leave it there generationally have mm-hmm. react to the idea of authenticity in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things are coming to mind. So first you're right. There is a generational difference and that is part of diversity. Many times, you know, DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion is such a hot topic today. And a lot of people will put that back to people of color or marginalized uh, minority groups or women and men and so forth. But it does encapture you know, generational differences, religion, demographical differences, and so forth. So, um, you know, of course, that diversity of thought, again, when you have that available in the workplace will cause conflict. You'll have to try harder to get everybody to talk and communicate. But if you can make it happen, then it definitely spurs that innovation and gives you the competitive advantage. Now, um, you also talk about um, the well, when it comes to authenticity and the age gaps, uh, there is a research study, I believe it was Reese and others in 2017, who said that when you have an authentic culture, you do better at attracting talent. And specifically, Reese and others said um, older women or women, older individuals, and oh, there was one more group. So, um, oh, yes, top management. That's what it was women, older individuals and top management. And so, uh yeah. So at least there is one way where the age group and authenticity are tied together. Interesting. You know, as, as we're sitting over here talking about authenticity, I keep going through, cause you know, we, we do marketing and work more mostly with marketing executives and, and the podcast is about mostly marketing topics. And I'm, I'm thinking about how authenticity plays into client relationships and how, our account executives can ensure that we have open, honest communication with our clients. And open and honest does not necessarily mean authentic, right? Those are those can be slightly different things. But if there, if we're ourselves with other people, 
in a professional way uh, as best possible, right? Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Then theoretically, you have a stronger connection and a stronger a stronger uh, way to interact and present ideas and uh, get more out out of the work that our team does for our clients because the client will receive it differently um, mm -hmm. than without that authenticity being there. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious if you have any research or any any tidbits around how. Um, sales, for lack of a better phrase, are impacted or, or influenced by the idea of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually, this is a really great segue into the benefits of authenticity for individuals and organizations. Um, so let me dive into that really quick, and then let's get back to what your question was. Um, so, okay, so for individuals, some of the benefits of authenticity in the workplace include increased psychological health, positive affect, life satisfaction, environmental mastery, personal growth, engagement, self-esteem, an elevated sense of purpose and sense of life, purpose in life. But then in um, the workplace, the benefits are increased productivity and organizational effectiveness and attracting top, attracting top talent, like I mentioned before, the competitive advantage and the sustainability, as well as serving your clients needs better. Okay. Now, um, let me also tie in that part of my research was about this, the satisfaction with one supervisor mm -hmm. and the research shows when a supervisor, um, and an, when the employee feels better about the supervisor, basically when they're satisfied with them, it correlates to higher authenticity. Okay. So positive correlation between the two that's backed up by a second study done by Ma and others in 2020 who looked at supervisor support and authenticity. They found the same things, high supervisor support, high authenticity. So, you know, I do want to make that connection that it is both the supervisors as well as the organizations that are coming together mm -hmm. to support authenticity. It is, um, you know, it's, in fact, supervisors might have a little bit more of an influence. You might have heard the saying, people don't leave their jobs, they lose their supervisors. So yep. supervisors have a lot to do it as well. Um, but again, getting back to what you said about clients, there is a whole slew of research about marketing and authenticity and about brand management. Uh, but I know that one of the most recent articles that I read talked about frontline um, workers and authenticity mm -hmm. and how it impacted client satisfaction. And as you might guess, um, a more authentic person uh, is going to, it's just going to come across on the phone or in those transactions. And the client is going to feel more of a connection because of that authentic, uh, you know, banter. Yes. When you, you talked about authentic brands uh, and authentic brand management and, you know, what instantly comes to mind with that is their presence online uh, or any sort of advertising. But for our purposes, it, it it's mostly online. And so as we think about how we organize content for brands, how we create uh, social presence in particular, because if mm -hmm. there's a place that you're going to get ripped for not being authentic, it's going to be in social. Uh, and Lord forbid it go viral <laughs> when, when you're unauthentic. <laughs> right. <laughs> um so, you know, our, our coaching with brands that we, that we do social work, social media work for is, look, you've, you've got to be authentic. You have to make sure that you portray the brand the way that it's meant to be portrayed. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Wendy's has a really cool online brand, but that may not be 
who you are. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't force the, the yourself. Worst is when people try to replicate Wendy's, like that was magic. Right. Yeah. And it's magic in a bottle. You have some other random brand that just is like, okay, the key to the key to being successful on social is just like be an asshole. And like, be that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't work for you. No, <laughs> it doesn't match the brand tone and voice. So, you know, you, those things have to gel well together. Uh, and your, your social presence, your, uh, your inner, your basically all of your interactions with your clients or with your prospective clients or your, your prospective, um, consumers has to feel like the brand. And when it doesn't, it's very, it's, it's a, it's a very, unauthentic interaction. In marketing, there's a first moment of truth, second moment of truth. Uh, and the first moment of truth is usually when you're at the store and you, you've you heard something about a product and you see it and now the packaging mac matches your first moment of truth or first interaction with that. Your second moment of truth is when you actually get to use the product, right? Did, mm -hmm. did it live up to the expectations that you were led to believe? whether it's previously advertised to or in-store experience, and then now I'm actually using the product. And so that, that authenticity kind of carries through everything that we do in the marketing world, uh, but at a slightly different flavor to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Well, I did, Mark, I've had a conversation with you before, and I listened to a few of your podcasts in preparation for this episode and listening to you both talk today. It is um, very apparent that you value authenticity, that you do bring that into your client interactions and that you want to build that into the marketing that you do. And then the, like the portals that you create that you're right. I think people can sense when something is authentic, when somebody's brand is authentic or not, and that you both are, you, you capture that and carry that over into the end product. That brings a lot of value. Yeah. Are there situations where people just don't value authenticity? Like, are, are there are there situations where uh, I'm trying to think of one in my head, but I, I mean, I know I've had uh, a few where I'm like, it would be that you just want me to feed you some bullshit here. Like, it's you don't actually want to know the mm -hmm. the, the reality of the situation or or what our actual recommendation is or or what have you. Are there scenarios that you've seen in your research like that where? you know, maybe there's a certain archetype that, that just doesn't value authenticity and that it's just kind of how they operate. Oh gosh, what a fascinating question. So the research and the scholarly literature that I have most recently combed into was more about, you know, that the authenticity and the benefits of it. Um, but I believe that where you're going, you know, there are <laughs> um, you know, in the world counter. of psychology, <laughs> yes, it's kind of counter to that. You know, there are always going to be pathological and sociological or um, sociopathies, right? Where people have a facade and what is on the inside is not what they're showing on the outside. And they're out there looking Those people for are feedback. <laughs> yes, they're, they're, they just want to be validated and, and it's based on a, on a fake facade. So, you know, I know that they're out there. Um, but I'd like to think that because I, I attempt to be my best self, right, fitting into, of course, social constructs when it's appropriate, you know, it's, um, you know, I'm going to be a, a different person if, um, you know, I'm, I don't know, in church or some formal setting versus when I'm going to be with my friends. And, um, you know, in theory does back that up. Um, it used to be people thought that, uh, 
it was a trait. Authenticity was a trait. Everybody would be static everywhere. Mm. Um, but then it moved into state-based or situational authenticity that says that you can act differently depending on where you're at. So um, so we do know that it's more fluid and um, we support that. But yeah, there are those people who can be quite challenging, but you know, be yourself, be your best self, then you'll attract more people who are more similar to you. And hopefully those who are more fake will just melt away. Way. I mean, that idea of, of that fluidity is kind of interesting too, because I can think about that, you know, even in my own life, I don't, I don't, my, my scale is not very big, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, there, there are probably a few scenarios, probably more often than not when I meet a, a new client or someone like that, that I'm trying to figure out where you are on that spectrum and, and, and truth, truthfully, whether we're going to have a real relationship or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we are, then we'll have a great relationship. It'll be very open and very honest. If we're not, we're just we're just not going to have a relationship. And I, that's fine with me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what you're bringing up um, is something it, it touches on to the other variable that I studied, which was sexual orientation and gender identity. And, it, and if I may just throw in, you know, there are some people who perhaps want to be themselves. They don't want to have a fake facade, but they feel like they have to. So, you know, when somebody with a silent identity like LGBTQIA, if they are themselves, then they can face discrimination and stressors in the workplace. And so many of them feel like they cannot. And when somebody has to conceal an identity, um, then, of course, then the the behaviors of somebody who cannot be authentic, you know, depressivity or um, more physical illness and less work commitment, right, are going to come through versus if they are in a culture where they can be supported. So let's just throw out that there can be some people who may not be themselves, but not because they're trying to be fake or, uh, you know, perhaps they're not, they don't have a hidden agenda. Uh, they just don't know if they can. So a culture of diversity and inclusion can be really important for those in a, a marginalized minority. You bring up and listening to the two of you talk brings up an interesting question from from my vantage point. And that's the idea of you, you called it state based authenticity. So mm-hmm. you almost have your own rules, so to speak, for yourself of who you're allowed to be in a certain setting versus another. So you brought up the example, Paula, of your friends versus, say, church. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one one may be a party scene. Um, and broad ripple as, as, as a, <laughs> <laughs> right. and another, another might be obviously much more toned down and socially acceptable. So what, what in, what is the, um, what should be the acceptable range of that scale? Right. So to your point, it, it used to be that you, you, um, someone would maybe perhaps be a, if it was a trait, they're going to be authentic no matter where they are. But like if Ryan's scale is this big and my scale is this big in terms of where, how, how far apart we grow um, from that authentic scale, is it okay for someone to have a scale that is, you know, 10 times the size of most other people's and for them to feel like that's acceptable? I don't know the answer to that, but it's an interesting dichotomy when you think about what's socially acceptable in certain scenarios and and what simply becomes disruptive. um, In I mean, I would, I would, before uh, before she answers, because I'd love that perspective, I would almost argue that you can have the opposite problem too, right? I would argue that for myself, right? My scale is probably not big enough for some people, 
Uh, yeah. So I can accidentally offend someone on best behavior, right? And I, I just know that, and I, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And you know, uh, if they have that problem, they have that problem, and we'll move on from that. But you know, uh, that is a good kind of call out of like everybody's everybody's idea of of best behavior or, or professional. Uh, is going to be different too. So, mm-hmm. 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 okay. So let me just clarify that with the original thought that behavior is, is a trait and fixed. Um, that is more of, let's say you are witnessing somebody in a scenario. Let's say that a, a psychologist was witnessing a child at school and watching their behavior. And they're like, Oh, that child is sullen. And that child is quiet. That is the child. Really. That's not the child. That just could be the child at school where state based mm-hmm. says that the child might be this way in school, but this way at home when they're around their friends and with their family, they may be different. Okay. So gotcha. versus state based, which we, we now recognize people can exhibit different behaviors based upon where they're at. So it's not so much about a range of authenticity as the mm. behavior that one is expressing. So getting back to like that uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we all hope that everybody can be them, their best self based upon feeling secure and safe and having the support of of uh, people around them. And perhaps when that is the scenario, they are their best self. But let's say like for the example of LGBTQ, um, if they are around somebody who accepts them as they are, they can be their best self. But if they're around a group of people who don't uh, allow them to be that way, they're, they're going to be somebody else. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting, Ryan, because I think with you, you may feel just really comfortable. This is who I am. These are the words I say. It doesn't matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter if I'm with grandma or with I'm, I'm with my friends. I'm going <laughs> to drop the F bomb. That's, that's a very that's specific topic. Who I am. Yes, yeah. that is, that is, that <laughs> that is, is actually a thing. Uh-huh. You know, if we, yeah. if we look at, uh, let's use that example, right? My, uh-huh. my two uncles, um, Mark's brothers, uh, they, they, they'll use some language on occasion. Um, but they won't in front of their parents ever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. never have. Well, they understand the social constructs and probably the risks affiliated with those behaviors. So they will adjust accordingly. So I have always been the opposite. I, I speak and interact with my grandparents exactly like I do with everybody else in my friend group. And my grandma is, you know, she loves to point it out. And uh, uh, I've always told her, I was like, well, I can do one of two things to you. I can either, I can either lie to you or I can just be me. And I haven't lied to you my whole life, so I don't intend on doing it now. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, it, that the perspective has always been an interesting one for me because suppressing portions of your personality is almost as, you know, as bad as suppressing portions of, you know, like you referred to the LGBTQIA mm-hmm. folks. You know that's suppressing a big portion of your of your life, and you know you're not really able to be kind of your natural self in that in that world. And it can be difficult. You know, I don't pretend to understand what it would be like to to try to interact in certain scenarios where you're trying to figure out, you know, is somebody else going to be accepting uh, if if they know this detail, right? It mm-hmm. it changes nothing about the person at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one minor detail can potentially change uh, relationships, interactions, all of those sorts of things. Um, 
shouldn't, but it, it, it can. Are there any things that, that, that you found that, um, that can help or that could be done to help kind of uh, spur that along, so to speak, of, you know, if you have somebody who is <clears throat> like myself, right, I, I'm, I'm very accepting of all individuals, I don't care. Um, and, and in fact, I embrace that. I, I love meeting new people from different walks of life and in different religions and all sorts of things. You know, whether I agree with you or not, I want to know everything about it because I'm just naturally a curious person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so sometimes trying to get people to let the guard, the guard down and be like, hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you here. I'm not trying to, I, I'm just, I'm interested. I want to learn. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll prove myself wrong uh, of some preconceived notion or experience I've had in the past. Are there any, you know, kind of good ways for in the work environment and especially thinking about supervisors and those sorts of things who can help kind of break through some of those barriers a little bit quicker than, uh, than might naturally happen. Yes. Well, I really, I'm going to honor that you asked this question, that you are open to thinking differently and changing the traditional systemic you know, structures that are in place. And so, um, so glad you brought this up. Yeah. So, you know, it is an, an organization like Oodle yourself, you know, it sounds like you are modeling that you want your workers to show up and be themselves. So, you know, that is one part of it. Your organizational policies that suggest that you are supportive of a silent identity or more marginalized minority group like LGBTQ, you know, whether you have benefits that are not just for, um, you know, a male and female who are married, but for um, a significant other or a life partner, you know, that is one way that you are saying, look, we support your lifestyle, we support who you are, we support who you love. Um, one thing that I found after talking talking to um, some uh, experts who live this on a day-to-day -day basis is that um, you don't know if somebody will support you unless perhaps they say something or there's a, you know, an LGBTQ flag flying in the background. So, you know, it's the, the actions or the behaviors and the words could be something like, you know, hi, my name is Paula and my pronouns are she and her. What is your name? you're already suggesting to them that you're open to hearing what their pronouns be and making sure that you can call that out. So um, I know at one place where I worked, we have a safe space program where there's a magnet that could be hung if you're in a physical area or just to put on a signature line, safe space or ally, so that when I'm emailing people, they already know that I'm going to embrace their whole self. So, you know, there are ways to show that it is supported and that you are welcoming that. But if somebody doesn't say it, or there isn't indica any indication, then people have to make assumptions that, okay, this may not be a safe place. D does that make sense? Does that help? It, it, it does. Um, and it even, you know, I've, I've, uh, I can think of scenarios where I've done that, uh, right. Where I've tried to drop breadcrumbs just to see if anybody takes one. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and in some cases it can happen naturally, right? Like my, just so happens that my watch band that I wear on a regular basis is the, it's last year's because I like it better, but the Nike, Nike plus, uh, their pride band. Right. And that's always been one of my favorite designs. That's a group that I've, that I've always supported, uh, 
in, you know, other ways outside of work and in work. But um, sometimes that can, you know, I could see that being a, at least a nod, right? It's like you, you at least know, know that it's a thing because uh, I'm, I'm wearing the wristband every day. Um, and sometimes, you know, being able to drop those, those little things. And I've always looked at it as like exposing yourself to vulnerabilities, right? Even outside of, mm-hmm. you know, so kind of the silent uh, marginalization groups um, when you're trying to build that kind of authentic trust with, with an individual is, you, you know, kind of like a, kind of like a puppy, right? You got to roll over and show your belly a little bit mm-hmm. and, and be willing to just be a little bit exposed. Maybe not, you know, you're not throwing everything out there, but um, that at least helps to build some of that. Right. And then you can see if it's reciprocated. If it is, mm-hmm. then, then you can start to build those, those, those pathways to a really good relationship and, and an authentic relationship. And if they're not reciprocated, well, maybe you, you need to look into why that is, uh, is kind of how I've always looked at it. Mm-hmm. I'm still visualizing a puppy rolling over, showing its belly. That's a really, <laughs> a really cute visual. <laughs> hey, everybody loves puppies, but you know, it's, it's one of those, one of those things too, that, you know, like we, our, our dog, he's a rescue. And I mean, it was probably a year before he would be comfortable, you know, even remotely rolling over. And even then he was just, he was weird. Like if somebody else comes in the room, not happening, uh, or, or he's, you know, kind of at attention and, and you kind of see how that we've built that relationship and trust over time where mm-hmm. now he's just like a blob that melts into the couch. But <laughs> he wasn't that way, you know, when we first got him. And Ryan, you and I have talked about this on many different occasions, but people are really good BS meters, right? Some oh, yeah. are better than others, but they can, they can sense without saying anything, whether you are authentic or not. And right. it, it's, it's, su- it's, it's, and it's hard to explain even how they get there, how we as humans get there. Right. It's, it's, as you said earlier, Paula is it's through our, our mannerisms or our tone or our engagement or interaction or a, a variety of subtle cues that leads you to understand whether that person is being authentic and being their real self or, or being to your point, Ryan, vulnerable enough that I should now reciprocate and be my vulnerable, authentic self. Now we're getting into a whole new study of vulnerability. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when I go into my next research topic, I'm going to start with you two first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll interview <laughs> you. And, yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, but we've, we've, you know, we've talked a lot about that over the years of, of, you know, we've, we've talked about it from a, the context of being leaders in an organization. And, you know, as Ryan and I always say, we're the last to know anything. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of the way that it works, but the more authentic we can be and the more, um, that we try to, to be involved, not necessarily as, as being everyone's friend, cause that's, that's a recipe for, for a different kind of disaster. Um, but it's really about being authentic and saying, we really do care. Here are the ways that we can show you that we really do care. Uh, about you as an individual, about the work that you do for not just on, you know, as part of a project team, but the actual work that you do. Uh, and, and, you know, you can't do that with everyone necessarily as a part of a growing organization. But it's those, those slight moments of interaction where you remember that someone had 
I don't know, an uncle last year that had something happen and you, you next interaction with them, you ask how that's going, how that's going in an, authentic, in an authentic way, not in a way to be like, you know, it's not on I your want checklist. you to like me better. You're not, you're no. not, it's not like in your checklist of notes, like ask about grandpa. Right. It's, <laughs> it's just genuine curiosity and genuine, and genuine and, and authentic, um, human behavior, right. Of I'm interested to know how that ended for you and can there can i do anything to support even though it's been so long ago um mm. those are those are ways that you build trust uh which is a whole nother research topic <laughs> yes um, oh it sounds awesome i mean it sounds like you really have put thought into this or at least role modeled this authentic workplace for you and uh, and the workers at oodle as well as for your clients so yeah i commend you on all of this. this has been a fantastic conversation i feel like i've gotten to know both of you a little better um, so this has been great. Yeah, a- absolutely. And go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, before we kind of get, I know we're getting towards the end here. I- I'd love kind of a quick perspective. You know, we've talked a lot about the happy path, right? What's, you know, you should, you should be yourself. You should be your best self. We should encourage diversity in the workplace and, and all of those things. And, and I'm a big believer in that. What happens if you don't? You know, some, some folks learn better through the, through the stick than the carrot, so to speak. Um, so what's, what's the consequence, right? If, if, if somebody's listening to us talk and they're like, that's, that's all garbage we, you really just mm-hmm. need to, you know, just, you go to work, you do your thing and you, and you leave it there and mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you, whoever you have to step on along the way, that's what you should do. What, what's the consequence of that? Mm-hmm. Well, when there is a workforce, or at least if it, there's a culture that doesn't support authenticity, then of course, there will be more of a toxic behavior, right? But toxic behavior is so that people throw the others under the bus because they want to get ahead. And instead of people coming together to share ideas and be honest, then they you might have a bunch of Uh, yes men around you just agreeing with you, not because they think it's the best idea, but because they just want to stay in your good graces. So then the the products won't be as innovative. It will just be a a product that's built on, I think you use the word like a sand, shifting sand, Mark, Mm -hmm. underneath your feet. Um, And then also, if it's not a good culture, people will just leave. Um, I know that um, also with the LGBTQ workforce, they said that if they're in, it was a human human resource campaign poll that um, one in four um, would leave a job just because the uh, culture is toxic and not supportive of marginalized minorities. So, uh, you know, I think that what you'll see is a more turnover in your workforce. You won't see that um, collaboration among your team members. And, um, you know, it just, there'll be more of those like negative behaviors um, uh, like, gosh, absence in the workplace or um, more aggression, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were as you were talking about turnover and and those sorts of things, uh, it got me thinking about in in our field with the uh, just the type of work that we do. The average employee turnover is something like two two and a half years uh, as as folks within an organization. Um, kind of starkly different to major corporate America where you have lots of people that have been there sometimes 10, 20 years um, in, in many cases. So the, the harsh reality is that for agencies and really marketing groups within 
organizations, your need to get this part right is actually amplified because you you already are are up against the wall because it's a highly stressful field that people will leave for what what either seems like grass is greener or because it's a very difficult role uh, and so they'll go do something else. So your ability to make sure that that you get this authenticity piece right so you have better leaders on the way in that will help retain more of your talent before and and be the uh, uh, and keep that organizational um knowledge what is the word for that organizational knowledge oh i think goodness. it would just be that sure we'll keep it that organizational knowledge <laughs> in house um institutional knowledge that's the word <laughs> keep the the organization's institutional knowledge in house as opposed to walking out the door uh you you have so a path that's so much faster to productivity and um and innovation than you would otherwise mm-hmm. so Paula, if, if folks want to get in contact with you to either learn more about your research, learn more about, uh, I hear you have a book coming out, um, yes. or, or anything else, leadership training or, or, or anything else, how do they, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, thank you. Yes. So please, please reach out to me on LinkedIn under Dr. Paula Berbeco. And there is a book I have contributed to. It also has other research and um, and esteemed colleagues. So um, the book is launching on October 25th. It is called The Refractive Thinker, Volume 22, Leading Global Conflict, um, Effective Business Solutions in a Post-Pandemic World. So please look for more information there. Um, I am also in process of publishing my research on work authenticity, satisfaction with supervisor, and the ver- and how that is influenced by sexual orientation and gender identity. That should be published here if all goes well in November. So I really appreciate you um, letting me be here and talk about this. This, of course, is a topic near and dear to me, and this has been a wonderful conversation. I hope I can come back again and talk more about diversity and inclusion, too. Sure. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, anytime. So we've been here with Dr. Paula Babeco talking about uh, work authenticity in the workplace with a side of uh, workplace inclusion uh, as, as part of that. We'd love to go deeper on that topic. Um, and if you have any questions that you'd love to direct to Paula, either reach out to her directly or send them to questions at oodle.io and we'll help you get them to get, get them to her. We'll see you next time.